are going to start the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is just a very precious and special book. I'm sure some of you here would call it your default book. That book, I know there's times in my life also the Lord just said, stop, just read a chapter every day in the book of Philippians. Sometimes when we have even been in counseling and someone says, here I am in a tough place. Well, read a chapter a day in the book of Philippians. Just keep reading it again and again. Because in the book of Philippians, we'll begin from an introductory side this morning, we find several beautiful teachings. And one is that we find our joy in Jesus Christ in the most amazing places and the most amazing ways. God has amazing ways of revealing the joy of the Lord to the church of, of Philippi. Another area that we'll see with the Philippian church is just the call to be steadfast in the Lord, to walk in faithfulness and just keep following Jesus and getting up and saying, Lord, here I am. I want to do your will. I want to go where you want me to go and be what you want me to be. And then there's something else and we're going to look at this in the early part of Paul's introduction, and that is just the blessing of a thankful heart. And there are many other lessons we learn as we're in the book of Philippians. And we will start here, and I'm just going to read the first couple of verses here where we'll get this morning. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And that's all the further we're going to get. We're going to get other places in the Word of God. I thought I would get further, but the Holy Spirit said, linger here. Let's get some messages that God would have for each of us here this morning. Now, one of the areas, we have a map of where Philippi is, and you'll see it up here on the screen, and you'll see a little uh, yellow circle, I mean, a red circle pop up there at Philippi. And Philippi was a, a region just eight miles in from the Asian Sea. And there it was, you have a Little church, some estimations would be the church would have only been in the 30s in size at that time. Just a a small little church in a relatively small community of around 10,000. It was here that the Apostle Paul went on his second missionary journey. And there it was, we'll look at it in a little bit. He began to share the gospel and just a few folks believed. A few families, really. And yet through this church, God did and is did amazing things and the message just kept going in so many ways the 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 city of philippi was named after alexander the great's father philip so that's where we get the the city philippi and here's this little church who has believed on jesus they've heard the gospel from one name named paul And when Paul was writing this letter, it's sometimes just to get the context, this letter was written somewhere around AD 60. It could vary a few years on on either side. 
Some, there's a few scholars that say it was maybe written in Ephesus. Most people would say it was probably written in Rome. There would have been somewhere around 800 mile distance between Philippi and Rome. The letter would have had to go a long time to get to the believers of Philippi. But where Paul was writing this was in a prison. It is considered one of his prison epistles. And the Roman prisons were not what we call prisons that we know in USA. These were prisons that were down in the ground. Often at the lowest level was a cistern. There was no lights. It was cold. It was dark. And they were, they were piled in there with other prisoners that were awaiting both trial and execution. Seldom did the Romans in prison to keep someone for long periods of time. They had very little clothing. If you remember, maybe some of you remember Paul as he wrote to Timothy, and he said, Timothy, when you come to visit me, bring my cloak. It was cold, and it was dark, and it was damp, and it was less than desirable in every way. And this is where our brother Paul was pinning this epistle. And so you think of that, and all of a sudden here comes a gleam of light popping through, and Paul is is looking at that gleam of light, and it comes down, and he begins to write, and he begins to write, and he begins to write to this dear church of Philippi. Another part of Philippi that was interesting is they were mostly non-Jewish and non-Roman citizens, and so they were kind of like the other people. They weren't known to be the end people. Rome ran, ruled the day, but a Jew was, had their own position and title. But the church of Philippi wasn't combined of those dear folks. They were a very unique group of people that God put on display to reveal His grace and His glory as He worked in so many ways in this situation. Now, as we go into the book, and we're looking at the book today together, uh, just, I want to give you just a little picture of an illustration that came to my mind when studying this that you can maybe take home with you if you can, praise God. But how many of you have ever been rafting in the Colorado River? Has, is there anyone has got a few hands out there? Well, what we used to do every year is we would work with our teams of guys and, we would, we, and women, and we would think of one special place to take them on a special Thanksgiving trip uh, every year. Now, our people in the work we were in worked across many states, and so it wasn't always a thrill to be gone. They're ready to be home. But one time we took them on a rafting trip in the Colorado. And years later, looking back on some of their favorite trips, their all-time favorite trip of all the employees that we had at that time said, Looking back, many of them had been on 10 trips. It was a Colorado rafting trip. And what was amazing about the trip is we weren't ready for what it was going to be. We had rafts going through the white water, going out west of the Grand Canyon towards Lake Mead. And there's places that the, the, the rapids were like class six and seven. And we had a lot of younger guys on these trips and they said, Make them as rapid, as, as tough as you can get. And those guys said, I'll tell you how we can do that. We can go against the route, go against the flow, and we can get up to a class nine. Well, you know, when you're in that setting, you're, uh, the next day I can still remember my arms were just sore up and down. And then I, well, how come they're sore? Because I was hanging on to the wall of that <laughs> boat. 
And there you were. But as you look in the Word of God, and it's important to see this no matter where you're at, there are things that are really intended to challenge you in your Christian life and to refocus you and really call you out. There's a place that the Word of God will say, John, you're not where you should be. And all of a sudden, it's like the rapids. You've got to hang on. It catches you. It calls you to a, a deeper walk with Jesus. It turns you around and every, everything else like that. There was another part of that trip, though, that was really neat. We would just hit those flat, smooth areas that was like glass. And you could eat your lunch. You could laugh. If you want to take a nap, you might get a nap in before you hit the rapids. You might not. But it was just a beautiful smooth, peaceful area. And we're going to find this in the book of Philippians. God is going to take us through various places in the book. But he's going to show us a place where you'll see peace in Philippians. You'll see it again and again, how to find the peace of God that passeth all understanding. How to discover the Lord in amazingly peaceful places. But there's another part of that trip that I look back on and many of you here have been to the Grand Canyon, you've looked over the edges, you've walked the trails, but when you get down there in the water and you're going and you're looking up and some of the most majestic cliffs that I ever saw in my life was just out there heading towards Lake Mead and they're so beautiful. You're able to behold the beauty of God and his touch in the most magnificent ways. Now, when we're in this book, God is going to take us to places of amazing beauty. And we'll be in awe of God because this book is, it's penned by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see this as we look into this, but it will take us to amazing places on the, on the spiritual learning that the Lord has for each one of us today and throughout, I don't know how long, how long God wants us to be here. So as we enter the, this though, I just want to encourage us to enjoy the book and the study of it. Just enjoy it. And as God is speaking to us, uh, just enjoy the, the, the areas where he brings us the peace, the beauty, and even really the places that he speaks to us and says, this is a place to respond to me. And I really want you to respond to me. And God will, will do amazing things in the study of this book. Now, looking at the first verse again, Paul and Timothy bond servants of Christ Jesus, and he identifies who's pinning the writing. But they're not writing it. The Holy Spirit is writing through Paul and Timothy. You see, the men of God only spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And when he says Paul and Timothy, Timothy had been at one time a constant companion. One of the reasons some people would say, Maybe this was an Ephesus is because that's where Timothy was a pastor. But many people say, no, it had to be in Rome. And Timothy would have joined Paul in Rome. We don't know for sure, but we do know it's Paul and Timothy. Possibly Paul's physical condition was such he did not have the ability to even write everything as he would like physically. He could have been tried amazingly. So he comes up and he says, Paul and Timothy, and then he lingered on something we want to linger on for just a moment this morning. He says, bond servants of Christ Jesus. You can look at some translations and they'll say, slaves of the Lord. Others will say, 
servants of Christ. I love the NASB's reference here when it says bondservants of Christ Jesus. We have chosen, just like the servant back in the book of Deuteronomy, in which he was compelled to serve for seven years, and then there was that privilege to go back to his master and say, Master, I will serve you the rest of my life, and it all would be put in his ear, and he would become that servant. But one thing I noticed the Lord said several times there is remember to bless them. These are your servants. Love them. Be good to them. Hold them up. And as Paul is writing here, he says, this is who's writing to you. You see, there is not... The call of leadership in the church of God is a privilege, but also a calling first to serve. There is no one that shows that any greater than our Lord Jesus Christ. He took the towel, he took the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. He carried that message everywhere he went. When he reached out to lepers and blind men and lame men, and there it was, he began to teach a lesson that is so easily forgotten. Now as we look further in the book, we will see this calling, this privilege, a place to get under, a place to get around, a place to pray under, to strengthen, to hold up. It is a blessed privilege that the Lord gives us. But Paul is just simply saying, this is who we are. First, we're servants of Jesus Christ. Not lords. The Word of God says, never be a lord over God's heritage, but be an example to the flock. We are a servant. Servants to serve the servants taking tubs and towels, and each one of you had that same blessed privilege. But in the book of, throughout the Bible, we see this, this teaching as Paul would have these introductory epistles, and you'll see, and I just want to put this on the screen a minute, and see how broad the brush is to this beautiful calling to be a servant. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, there Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Notice where he begins. Not my pedigree, not my heritage, a servant of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and 7, we'll see other people involved. As you, just as you have learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Notice it's spreading beyond Paul. This is the men that moved the world. But first they were servants. They were servants of Jesus Christ. Colossians 4 and 7. As to my affairs, Tychius, our beloved brother and faithful servant, and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. And again, Paul is saying, yes, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. But yes, so also is Tychius. So also are other brothers. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul writing to, Tom, to Titus says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. Paul is saying, this is who I am. This is my title. This is my pedigree. This is what I want to be remembered to be as a bondservant. 
for Jesus Christ. No higher calling this side of glory. James chapter 1, verse 1. It's spread to the apostles. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings, but James is saying, I'm one of these guys too. I just am willing to serve, to be down, to take the lower path where God calls me to go, to walk in humility and in faith in the Lord Jesus at the same time. 2 Peter 1.1, I love this story because this, this is one of my favorite uh, uh, chapters of Peter's writings because it now comes down to this man who has been so touched by God that now you see this mature man of God and he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he goes into the resurrection. And here Peter is saying, this is who I am too. And you see what's happening? Every one of these men that God was calling were locking their arms and their hearts in one great purpose of their life, and that was to be a servant of God, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude chapter 1, only one chapter, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus, Jesus Christ, and a brother of James to those who are the called beloved in God, in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. It was Jude 2, and then there was John, Revelation 1 and 1. And you see this again, and it's just touching so many of these dear brothers. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bond servants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel and to his bond servant, John. And here it is. You look and you see Paul, but you see James, you see Peter, you see Jude, you see John, and it just keeps spreading. Because the power of any body that ever exists on the face of the earth is when the heart of the men and women who are in any level or capacity of leadership are willing to serve. And this is what Paul was saying. He says, this is who we are. We're bond servants. And notice where it was. We're of Jesus Christ. Verse 1. We are tied to Jesus Christ. The brushes he wrote was very broad to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Notice with me the word all because it is such a beautiful part of the gospel that God doesn't leave people out. It's what I love about Calvary Chapel here is the Calvary Chapel has an open door. You can walk in the door. You can find a corner. You can walk out, and you'll be loved. And you can grow in the Lord Jesus because the Lord is here, the Word will be preached, and when God will work with you in, in many ways. But if you notice, it, He says, all the saints in Christ Jesus... Notice where they're from. Not the saint, just the, the strong Christian. He's I, I, tying the identity and power of the saint to Christ. Very important. Not only were they bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ, but their identity and power was tied to Christ. 
This is where the power was, the privilege of service to all the saints that are in Christ Jesus. Now here's an interesting one too, who are in Philippi, and so you come back to the size of the church, and we don't know. I mean, I read around 30, 35. That's some of the historical accounts, but God knows. What's amazing, though, is what God does with small groups of people whose hearts turn toward them. God doesn't need big groups. All God needs is faithful people with open hearts, and God begins to do amazing things. And this is what happened in Philippi, and it's one of the beauties that we can see as we're looking at this church, as we begin to recognize God's working in these amazing ways through these people that really were kind of like no-names, in a place that no one else believed that God was going to do some amazing things in their lives. Notice one more part of that brush at the end of verse 1. It says, including the overseers and deacons. And here he's speaking about the elders, the pastors, the, and also the deacons. And he says, you're not exempt. The word that I'm writing about applies to you too. The overseers and the deacons. And what is so amazing is... We get to, we'll never get to a place in our life that we do not desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ and we do not deeply need his word. And not only that, not only that, we need exhortation. We need encouragement. We need strengthening. God put us in a place at one time of our ministry that a lot of people would just come and stay at our homes that were pastors and up in Washington State and they would sit there for hours and share their heart and a lot of these men were really, really mighty men in the eyes of a lot of people. But God, I can still remember one night, the pastor was heading upstairs to bed, and all of a sudden he plopped down in like the third stair of our stairway going up to the bedrooms, and he sat there for hours, and all he did was weep and talk about the difficulty and how badly he needed Jesus. And if God did not touch that church to me, uh, he was a very deep friend. God called him home very early in his life. He passed away of cancer in the last year. He was only 67 years old. But I'll never forget the words of a man of God saying how badly I need Jesus too. And this is the truth of the gospel. Never does any of us rise to a point that we are not desperately in need of Christ. And, and the word of exhortation and the calling back of the word, even as Paul was giving it here this morning as we're reading. And so he says, all these overseers and the deacons, and, and that word diakonos for the deacons is a servant. I get a picture of the blessing of what deacons do, oftentimes unseen, but just underneath and blessing. They're just carrying the tub. They're carrying the towel. They're holding people up. They're willing to serve in possibly places someone else would not be able or willing to serve. They'll say, I'll be there, Lord. And some of you are, may not be in the church in the same way, but that's who you are. And I have witnessed that service and I have seen the ways in which God has spoken to your life. And you may never know that, but it speaks and touches our hearts because we recognize that there is such a privilege in serving the Lord, but oftentimes the place God places us is not where we ever thought we would be or seen we would be. And Paul here is, is writing to a group of people like this. But also something that's so amazing about the word when we look at all the people and overseers and deacons is the word is relevant 
everywhere it goes, in every society, every age, every culture, every age group, it is totally relevant. And God brings it to life no matter where the word is declared. And this is who he is. It doesn't have to be a certain thing. It can be in a little house hut in the, in the jungles of China. And the word is just as alive as it is here. The power of the Holy Spirit is just as effectual there as it is here. And here Paul is recognizing that as the brush just goes over the church. But in the second verse of his introduction, he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I love that opening. You know, sometimes if you're writing a letter and you don't know what to write, or if you don't know how to sign off, think about Paul's introduction here, grace and peace to you. Grace is, I just want God's grace in your life. I just want God's goodness to be there and the peace of God to be there. We will see that happening in this book. We will see peace flooding like a river. We will hit the calm spots, but we'll also see the grace of God that's so necessary. But as Paul said that, remember what he says here. He does not say grace and peace be to you. He says, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The source of the power of all grace and peace is God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All we can do is point to him. All we can do is look up and see him. And here the apostle is simply saying, grace, I want you to experience the grace and peace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he opens up and here he, he goes beyond the introduction in verse 3. And he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul is over here going, when I think about you at Philippi, I, I just thank God. Philippi, thank God. And notice how this is. It isn't when I thank you for being who you are at Philippi. He is saying, when I think of you, I thank God. I don't stop with you. I look through you, above you, beyond you, and I thank God. Paul could look out here at a church that he had walked among and wept among, suffered among, loved among, baptized them, and he knew probably their struggles and trials, but he said, when I see you, I thank God. And this is the wonderful privilege of thanksgiving, that it doesn't stop with you. It stops with God. It goes through us to God. It is a beautiful pattern of thanksgiving. It flows. Paul, you'll see this again and again in his writings. He would just say, I see you, but really I look and I see God. I thank God on every remembrance of my remembrance of you. And there he is in prison. What else does he have to do but pray, thank God? Uh, he keeps writing. Probably sometimes... There, there was, he may have not known if it was day or night. It could have been that dark and damp in that prison in which he was. But there's one thing he was still doing. He was thanking God when he remembered the church of Philippi. It's a beautiful privilege because God, nothing can ever take that from us. 
the heart of thankfulness, the gratefulness that can go from our heart to God as we think of others and see them. I, I have a verse, a set of verses up in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15, because I want us to see the, the first disciples that sprung out of this church in Paul's second missionary journey. Acts, I'll read this, 16, 11 through 15. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothracia, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and say, and she prevailed on us to do that. So here's this woman, Lydia, in her household, and you know this, God builds his church in the most amazing ways. He doesn't do it like the Lord builds his house, the Lord builds his church, and God here was had a woman down from the city of Thyatira named Lydia who was hearing first off the word of God, so she was a worshiper of God. So she was probably seeking, oh, who, is, who is God? God, do I have everything? Uh, God, have you, do I know everything about you? And here comes this guy, Paul, and begins to share this message of Jesus. And the word of God says she listened. You know, the word says in James, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But that woman's ear opened to hear the message of the apostle. And then as she was listening, something very important to all growth in every church is we find within this text. And it says she was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. She was seeking God, she was listening to the message, and God opened the heart. That is the miracle of conversion. All of a sudden, that's me. It's Jesus. He died for me. And I can believe that. And this is what happened. Think of this, though. But notice the, notice the progress, because in church planting, building, ministry, going out, spreading the gospel wherever you go. There are several key ingredients we find right here that are so important. And one was we had a woman whose heart who was seeking God. She was seeking the Lord. And she was listening to what Paul was saying. Her heart was open enough to her, her ear to be open. Jesus said it like this different times. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And then the word says, God opens her heart. God opened her heart. And out of this experience and this conversion of this dear woman, 
as God has opened her heart, and you could probably say probably Lydia was number one. There may have been something before because the Word of God doesn't give us every event and every experience of every circumstance. But we have this recorded event. It wasn't just Lydia. It was her household. And, you know, I think this is so beautiful in light of today, and we have baptisms today, but many times in the early church, you do a little study of this, come back and tell me about this. I think maybe you will find only three-day gap from the time they believe. Part of it is the disciples and apostles are moving through. Another reason is they were so, to be baptized, they were so excited about the message that they just wanted to be at the family of God. And water baptism identifies you with God's family. It's like you put your stake in the ground. You say, I'm on God's side. I'm in his family. And here it is in this situation, this dear woman, if you notice with me uh, in this area, not only she and her household had been baptized, it doesn't say if she has a husband, and she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come in my house and stay, stay. And she prevailed upon us. Notice what she did. She extended hospitality immediately. She just opened her arms and said, you can come into my house. Mikasa is Sukasa is Mikasa. Mikasa is Sukasa. You can hang out with me. Nothing's more important than the privilege of fellowship in the body of Christ. You begin to see something here that really is beautiful. And Paul will write of this many times. He begins to speak of the blessed privilege of Konania fellowship. It's where hearts walk together in the spirit that are bonded together through the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit in the most amazing places and ways. And you find fellowship in the body. That's God's heart for the church. Fellowship, communion, brothers and sisters who love and care and pray. And just like Lydia here, just simply say, me casa, su casa, come on in. It's God's anyway. We're just glad to share. And this is what's happening in the early church of Philippi. And this is what was bringing this thanksgiving to Paul. As he looked out here, he just thanked God. But over in Romans, I want us to see the parallel in Romans 1, verses 8 through 10, to this same thanksgiving, where here Paul is writing to the Roman church, and he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And here, again, I'm thanking my God, notice where, through Jesus Christ. I'm seeing you, but I'm going to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers making requests, perhaps now at the last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. And here Paul was just opening the little window of his prayer life. It's one of the great hidden secrets and power of any healthy, flourishing church. Is there it is when God's people are meeting the Lord Jesus Paul was in a Roman prison. But if you study his life, prayer was such a part of him. He even writes to the Thessalonian church and says, pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. And he's not saying don't, just keep, have such a heart of prayer that prayer is a part of you throughout the day. Wherever you are, 
You, th you see the church, you think of a, a brother, a sister, thank God. And this is what Paul is doing here. He is just sharing a heart that he has. And we're back to verse five, by 4 and 5. He says, As I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Notice again the, how broad it is. He's, he's praying all the time. But notice what's happening with Paul as he's praying. There is joy and also thanksgiving. Paul is offering prayer with joy. And one of the secrets to powerful prayer is a joyful prayer. Paul, he was at a different place. We'll look at this in, uh, in a few weeks. He was in a different place. He was in a prison, but he was offering these prayers with joy and thanksgiving. He saw them and he was always praying and out of it was surrounding the prayer was joy and thanksgiving. Sometimes we may wonder about why our prayers are not effectual. And one of the places the Lord has taken me is just, is there still joy? Or have you lost the heart of joy? And come back to the heart of joy and thanksgiving and let me begin to open up the doors that you can't open and touch anyway. And here, here we see this as Paul is just simply saying, every prayer of you I offer this. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. What he is saying is when you came in, you were all in. You jumped in. You said, I'm yours, God. I will do what you want me to do. I'm not in today, out tomorrow. And he says from the first day, and maybe he's looking back at the time when Lydia was baptized and her household and brought him into her house. And he says, you were right there with me. You were in the gospel. You just said, I'm there, Lord. And I believe that many of you are just like that. God has blessed us to be able to get to know some of you in ways that we did not know and to sense the ways that you are before God saying, I'm there. And I look forward to getting to know, know, know each other better and saying, Lord, I'm just there. I will do what you want me to do. I will be there. And the beauty of God is he begins to work with open hearts, just like he worked in the heart of Lydia. He opened her heart, she listened to the word of God, and God began to do amazing things in her life. You know, the heart of thanksgiving is such a precious heart that Paul is using as he's speaking to this church. And thanksgiving is really contagious. Have you ever noticed that? You get around a person thankful, and guess what happens to you? You get thankful. They share how excited they are about Jesus and, and how much God is doing and what they're witnessing. And you're just over there saying, I'm there too, God. It's amazing. It just kind of spreads. It's contagious. Thanksgiving flows. You know, I thought about it sometimes, and I've seen this where all of a sudden someone sends a thankful text. And it says, just spread the text. Thanks be unto God for his un unspeakable gift. And here goes Thanksgiving. Just flowing, just spreading like a fire. And this is what Paul was spanning the flame of at Philippi. He was spanning the flame of thanksgiving and praise and honor to the Lord God from heaven. You know, a few, few days ago, we were privileged to sit out here and uh, in the congregation and, and we had all of the children that had went through Awana here, or most of them, and they came up here to receive their rewards, which was usually a ribbon 
with something attached to it of what they had done. And it was such a blessing for me because to watch those children and the glow of affirmation that came from teachers saying, this is yours. And then I kind of watched as they came over here down the stairs and their faces were just aglow because the teachers and everyone that was involved in Awana was saying, we believe in you. We really believe in what God's doing. And some of these children have very different lives. They don't all go to a church like this, but they were receiving that affirmation. Just like Paul was giving to the Philippian church and saying, we believe in you. We really believe in God working through you and what God will do through you and in you to the praise of God's glory. And I flashed back about a month. I think it was almost exactly a month earlier. Debbie and I was over in the, in the Philippines and we attended a ceremony like this and there it was that here come the children and they had nothing, but they had everything because out of their heart was thanksgiving and praise and adoration. And here was people putting ribbons around them and they brought them up and here is one for the most obedient and the best team player and the one that does that. And when you look at those little children who dressed up in all they had, but everything they had, their faces just glowed for Jesus. And they got all done and I thought, well, we had been putting on these ribbons. I thought, well, that's probably it. There was more children than this here. And all of a sudden, no, they were bringing them back again because they had all kinds of ribbons to give them. So at the end of the day, some of those children had five and six ribbons around their neck, but they were still glowing because there was a positive enforcement of confidence in the Lord in every one of those children's lives. And they were being blessed. And this is what Paul is doing as he begins the book of Philippians. He is speaking about his confidence in them. We will see this as we go further. What he sees when he looks at them, how he sees through them. But as he sees through them, he sees God. And he thanks God. And he praises God for who God is. And it is amazing what becomes of the work of Philippi and even the blessing we'll have as we enjoy this journey together as God gives us grace and time to do this. And I believe uh, for everyone here, we'll probably see the, the book of Philippians as even just more precious, just a more special book inspired by God that God has given us that we can embrace and carry with us in our Christian life. We'll learn about prayer more. We'll learn about thanksgiving more. We'll learn about the peace of God. We'll learn about rejoicing more in this book. We'll learn more about thankfulness in this book. And throughout it all, what we're going to learn more about than all of that is about Jesus and how great he is and how awesome he is and what he does. And you know, when I was studying this and I, I was back kind of lingering on this area of Paul, looking back at all of these, uh, the church and Lydia and the people and thanking God and I go back to the first time that Deb and I ever went back, went into China about 20 years ago. And there we were in this little house church teaching from the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, just like we do here with the translator. And in the front row was this little young woman, probably between 20 and 30 years old, whose face was simply aglow all day, every day, morning till evening. It was like her face was on fire. And when it was time to go, 
This is, I, I don't know how to describe this, but I'll describe this to you as a family. It's something else to tell that church goodbye. Because they're never going to see you again. They have brought you in in secret. You have went into an area and you're going to tell them goodbye and they're looking at you and they may have never saw an American before. And I'll never forget what that little girl said because I believe it was a part of what God did in our next 20 years in taking us into many countries and many times back to China. And she looked at Debbie and I and the last word she was saying before that car came up down an alley to open the door to get us in a car and get us out safely so that church would not lose its security, she looked at us and says, don't ever forget our faces. And I haven't. All I see is one simple girl in the middle of about 40 or 50 young developing leaders that are probably all over the country now who just heard about Jesus a long time ago now and followed him some to prison. The pastor there is now in prison. He's been in prison for several years, but they kept on following Jesus because they, they saw the face of the, the Lord Jesus. But when we see her, we see God. And that's really true of everyone here today. When we look in your faces, really, it's really not about you. It's about God working within you, doing that which is impossible, but possible through him. And may God bless every one of you and may you have a blessed day as we enter into a final prayer. But, but if there is anyone here, anyone who has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, today is a day to do it. You can come forward. We can meet you here. We can pray. There will be pastors and, and other prayer team warriors to pray with you. If you want to be baptized, you say, I just want to put the stake in the ground. You can still do it today. You can come forward. You can meet one of us up here. We'll take time. This is important to us. We want to bless you. Often water baptism is like this stake that we publicly put in the ground and say, Lord, I'm on your side and I want to be with you. But God bless all of you and let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is so great. Lord, thank you that you have given us the word that we can, we can reach out and it touches us. That I thank you, Lord, that the brush of your word has come over this church and come over every heart that's here and every life and every person in every circumstance, no matter how it is. Father, Lord Jesus, have your way with us and your will with us. I pray, Lord, that you will lead us as a church the way you want us to go. And we will follow you we will follow you and be obedient and we will just live for you every day, every moment of time. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you are, all you have been, all you will be. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.